All I know is that it, it seems like something is happening there and we're not able to talk about it. And I don't understand why other people aren't curious about what's happening here. Why is there not a good explanation for why this is happening? Welcome to the Conservative Curious Podcast, where we uncover niche thinkers at the intersection of philosophy, tech, and culture. I'm your host, Jessica Dang, alongside my friend and co-host, Ani Pai. In this episode, we talk to Mike Solana, Vice President of Founders Fund, a venture capital firm investing in companies building revolutionary technologies. He's also the creator and host of two podcasts, Anatomy of Next and Problematic. Not only that, he also writes a newsletter called Pirate Wires on Substack. Our conversation here revolves around an essay he wrote titled Fire in the Sky, UFOs and Government Conspiracy and Conquering the Barrier Belief. We discuss the mental blocks that appear when it comes to certain strange truths, why no one's talking about UFOs anymore, and how he used self-radicalization as a way to learn about different worldviews. We may have also talked about Pizzagate, Jeffrey Epstein, and the Flat Earth Theory. Listen in. So in your essay, Fire in the Sky, you talk about a lot of things. You talk about UFOs and government conspiracies and something you call the barrier belief, which we'll get into. But you started the essay by talking about your time working in publishing at Penguin Books and how you specialized in a category called New Thought. What, what is New Thought? I think you said it was around since before the, the founding of America. So th- this whole wave of people came over as America opened up and it was like, you know, religious freedom and whatnot. You had lots of obviously Christian experimentation here. There were all different kinds of, uh, well, Christian faiths that came here and then new Christian faiths that emerged under the Protestant umbrella. But you had a lot of experimentation in religion more broadly. In the Hudson River Valley area, there was this huge blossoming of what would become the stuff that we call today, you know, it's like the power of positive thinking and manifestation and all of that stuff. They like to frame it now as this ancient tradition that dates back to the pyramids and whatnot, but it's not really true. It's acutely American. That entire- I think, I think what people forget there is that America is just a collection of these cults. Like you can also think of it in terms of the Cambria explosion with the satanic church, right? That's a purely American phenomenon. That's kind of why people look at the occult and they're like, oh, this is just a new version of Satanism. These people are all messed up. But if you actually go look at the tenants, you're like, wow, a lot, a lot of them actually map this weird atheist belief, but also not fully atheist belief that a lot of people hold. That's really, that was really an American thing, which kind of shocked a lot of people in the old world. I've always been, I guess, open to weird ideas. I like weird ideas. I like people who um, have a bunch of weird ideas and who want to just talk about really sort of crazy things that I've never thought of before and that maybe feel dangerous. That actually leads into your discovery of a book called Book of the Damned by Charles Fort. I actually looked up why he called it Book of the Damned, and basically he wanted to write about data that didn't conform to modern science. What was it about this book that fascinated you? Charles Fort is writing in the late 19th century, early 20th century. He's not very popular. He's spending all of his time in libraries in New York and London. And he's just looking for accounts of these really bizarre phenomena. And he specifically is interested in phenomena that have very sound data behind them, but no one will talk about. 
the one that I was struck by was the raining animals. He's talking about a rain of fish or a rain of frogs, a rain of crickets or snakes. And people are like, they come up with all these weird reasons why it's like, well, maybe there was a typhoon or, you know, there's a, there was a weird weather pattern. It sucked up all these fish in a lake and then, you know, transported them several miles and dropped them off on a town or something. It's like these weird, and, and it sounds right. And you're like, oh yeah, that's, that's the scientific explanation. But of course there's no data behind that. All we know for sure, well, he's arguing at least, all we know for sure is that these things happened. But I'm thinking like, there's no way that that happened. So then I Googled it and there are stories like that every single year to this day. Actual towns, concrete examples, multiple times a year, you have stories like this. And I don't know anything about it. All I know is that it, it seems like something is happening there and we're not able to talk about it. And I don't understand why other people aren't curious about what's happening here. Why is there not a good explanation for why this is happening? I remember we spoke earlier about how you actually majored in storytelling, right? Yeah. And it kind of feels like every time you're on a podcast or you're writing, it's like finding the discrepancies in these stories. It's like that story just doesn't line up. The story that I'm interested in is not even the story of the raining animals. Like, and that's the same thing with the UFOs. So Charles Ford opened me up to, wow, if, if this is happening and no one cares about it, or at least if there's evidence for this and no one cares about it, what other things have I always discounted that, you know, there might be something to? And, you know, there are a lot of things like that in the world that both have evidence for them, but you're not supposed to believe in them. For example, there's all sorts of parapsychology stuff. We have scientific data for this that no one wants to talk about. UFOs are another one where suddenly we have all of this information and video footage, you know, account after account after account from the military. And we talk about it for a day and then it's gone. You know, the most recent round of UFO stories are already over. We're not talking about them anymore. And, and for me, that's the story. I mean, I, I don't know what it is about this class of quote, like strange truths, or let's just say strange data. What is it about that damn data that makes it invisible for us? Why can't we look at it? And once you start caring about this, like already people make fun of me as the UFO guy. I don't even have my own theories on it. All I'm saying is, hey, this is the New York Times. Are we not going to talk about the story that is ongoing in the New York Times? Like I, that's all I'm pointing to. I don't have my own weird spooky data. I've never seen a UFO myself. I'm just reading what they're writing and taking it seriously. That's it. That's the issue. It's that you're relatively credible in the tech space. And it's like, how how could Michael Solana be taking this seriously when you read it and you talk about it? That's like an affront to their beliefs somehow. I definitely, you know, I say all sorts of things that are an affront to people's beliefs and they get very mad at me for them. UFOs are not really one of them. UFOs are an interesting class of things that I talk about. 20 years ago, the conspiracy was the government. You have a conspiracy. You're a conspiracy theorist. If you believe the government is hiding a bunch of information about UFOs. But in 2020, the government is telling you that they have a bunch of information on UFOs. The government is telling you that this information has been hidden for decades. So actually, the conspiracy theory would be to say that the government is making it up for some nefarious purpose that I don't quite understand, but perhaps exists. That would be a story. That's one. The second possibility here is that all of this shit that we're seeing in the sky that, you know, pilot after pilot after pilot has not only seen, but has interacted with to, to a certain degree. There are these weird objects that have flown between two crafts that they see with their own eyes. Uh, all of these military people, um, you know, again, we could put it in the government conspiracy bucket. Either they're all lying about it or two, everything they're saying is real and it's Russia or China. It's some advanced technology that we don't have. But of course, that would be a major story if Russia and China had right now build drones that defy the known laws of physics. That's a huge, huge, huge deal. But by the way, I think that we would know that by now. Option three is 
this is something else. This is an intelligence that is beyond us. I'm not saying it's extraterrestrial. It might be us from some different time, you know, in space. I have no idea. But like, there are just limited options here. Or I guess maybe four, it's a natural phenomenon that again, uh, fundamentally alters the way that we think about physics, which again, is an enormous story. All of these things are really huge stories. Even if it's just like massive incompetence at this scale, Fox News should be dying to discredit this story because they could just use it to beat the New York Times over the head, you know, for the next 10 years. Look at these idiots talking about UFOs. There's so many reasons from so many angles that other people should want to confirm these stories or talk about these stories or run with these stories and no one will do it. And so that to me says that something is happening psychologically. Something is happening that is innate to us, like innate blindness that we have to truths that are just like too far outside of our acceptable zone of what we think about the world, the nature of reality, and we're butting up against it. And so we're just like completely blind to, to the truth here. And I have no idea what the truth is. I just know that we're not even capable of talking about it. So in your essay, you make a distinction between the Overton window and what you call the barrier belief. Can you tell our listeners what the difference between the two is? Yeah. So the Overton window is really useful, you know, especially in today's discourse online, where it's basically like the zone of, of acceptable speech. It's the kinds of things that you'd be willing to talk about based on you know, what you're allowed to talk about, your intuitive sense of what is socially acceptable. And people usually frame it in this sort of left-right kind of way, and it shifts. So recently it shifted, and, and now it's okay to say that you're a socialist. But even 15 years ago, that was beyond the pale. You could not say that it was political suicide. Today, it's fine. That means the Overton window has shifted to the left, at least in that respect. You could also argue maybe it's just widened completely, and there are things on the right that are no longer beyond the pale that once were, I think that's not actually true. I think that there's not really much evidence for that as evidenced by the hysterical reaction to every single thing that Trump says that, I mean, realistically, is just what people, like working class people have been saying for decades. My entire life, my dad was in construction. Whether it's Trump's views on immigration or foreign policy or you know manufacturing, all the trade stuff, which by the way, Bernie Sanders shared his views on that up until five minutes ago. I know people like that and that's a very common belief. That's, but that's the Overton window. It's not what you believe. It's what you can say. It's which of your beliefs you're willing to talk about based on what other people think. Whereas what I'm talking about is not what you're willing to say, but what you are even capable of believing. Your barrier belief is your sort of sense of what the world is. There's like this zone of possibilities. You, you know a bunch of stuff based on experience and then maybe based on sort of logical reasoning and based on trust, what people you trust have said to you about the world. And then when you learn new things, you kind of, does that make sense inside of my zone of possible thinking? And if it does, you consider it and you make a decision based on whether or not you think it's true. But when something comes along that is so far beyond that barrier belief, that sense of the world that you have, you discard it completely. You won't even think about it. And that's UFOs. It's not that you're not capable of talking about it. It's that you're not even capable of entertaining the idea of it. I think that there's an increasing amount of people who have no barrier belief where we have like these Pizzagate people and the chemtrail people. And they've already incorporated the idea that there are these massive government conspiracies. It doesn't have to be grounded in fact. That's just what they believe about the world. They think it's like, of course, Pizzagate is probably real because the government is super fucking evil. And like, oh, is there a massive pedophile conspiracy ring run by the Democrats out of the pizza parlor in Washington? Yes, checks out. It's, it is in complete synchronicity with all of my fundamental beliefs about, about the government, about Democrats, about whatever. Like they just believe in that stuff naturally. It sounds like Pizzagate is outside of, it's beyond your barrier belief. I had a few friends actually, even though I grew up in the barrier, who were really big into flat earth theory. The way in which people use science on both sides, it's really mind boggling to me because, you know, someone who tries to prove that the earth is round is like, okay, science. 
And then these guys, I have never seen such convoluted physics in my life, like the way they used to explain that the earth is actually flat. And that to me was like, huh, it's just like a stack of signs, signs, signs. But at some point, you know, it's like, where does that end? There's some things that science can't explain. And so where do you go? The truth is, none of us have any real information, no hard information personally that we've personally gathered to prove that the earth is roughly spherical. We, we know that because we trust the people who've told us that and they've shown us evidence. Are we really doing the logical reasoning to sort of like, like weave all those steps together? It's like, no, you're a kid and they tell you some stuff and it seems right. And you're like, yeah. And they show you pictures. You're like, of course. And so you don't challenge it, but we, we haven't actually done the work the, the rational work to, to make an argument for that. We've just mostly accepted it. And I think the average flat earth person is not really serious about it, but what they're able to do is run circles. Some of them are able to run circles around the lay person who just refuses to believe that, but can't argue against it. They have all sorts of data sets that they'll bring up, weird facts that they'll bring up and, and will stump you because you're just not an expert in this stuff. This is something that I do think is true about the world. The earth is you know, round or, I don't know, roughly spherical. Uh, was it oblong or something? The, the truth is that I, that's like generally stuff that I'm believing from other people who I sort of believe. You know, I've seen the pictures and I've read the data. I mean, I guess it could be true that there's some crazy, massive government conspiracy, but it just seems really crazy to me. It's, it's, it's well beyond my barrier belief. There, there's that law that, you know, you need 10x the amount of work to refute bullshit. You need way more manpower and firepower on the ground to actually be like, no, that's completely wrong. But, you know, when they banned Alex Jones, there's a graph in the amount of anti-vax videos that exploded across the internet. And there's nobody to deal with that stuff. Like it's across DLive, it's across YouTube, it's across all these various platforms. And why is that? Because people had no outlet for it or? Yeah. So it was a weird thing where they got a lot of their fix kind of just by watching Alex Jones. And they're like, okay, this guy's taking on the man, right? Like we have somebody speaking truth to power. When he was gone, their lodestar was just gone. They were like, okay, now it's up to me, right? I have to go and fight the good fight. And it was teenagers. It was like people in their 20s, boomers, everyone just out of the blue just started putting up content around anti-vax stuff. YouTube said they were working with the WHO to take down content that wasn't fitting their narrative of coronavirus treatments and what to do there. And yeah, that was a question on my mind because I was always curious, like if we do make a vaccine, will people actually take it? Like, would you actually be able to administer it to everyone? And then answer that question is increasingly no, like we can't. This is sort of a tangent, but yeah, I just don't, I, I just happen to not care about this. And I don't really trust the people who are obsessed with this. I think that I've realized that's a minority view too. I kind of see this like Silicon Valley authoritarianism, like start to take over. And it's like in every aspect of society. I think that Silicon Valley has over time gradually picked up on an academic authoritarianism. This like really sort of academic sense of superiority, it comes from the colleges. It's, it's These are the smart people. And if they were just in charge, everything would be fine. And they all happen to think the same and look the same and have roughly the same amount of money and come from like similar regions and work in similar urban areas. And it's a culture. It's not really like they're smarter than the average person. What we're talking about here is a small group of people who just don't like the idea of a bunch of other people not taking a vaccine that really pisses them off. It's like, no, we're all in this together. We all have to do this. Those are the rules, follow the rules. It's the energy of that kid in elementary school who wanted to be a hall monitor. That It's like that energy. It's like metastasized though. It's the adult version of that. It's super terrifying, those people. That was really scary to me. With this whole situation, maybe with UFOs and the pandemic and climate change and all this stuff, what I see is experts and scientists their credibility is crumbling before our eyes because there's so many conflicting views. It's like, 
Who do we trust? We're not omniscient and no one is in society. Like we learn new things all the time. So experts quote experts are wrong constantly because we get new information. In this culture of the expert, you have people who are self-anointed priests of what is quote true. And for any expert you find to argue almost anything, I can find another expert who disagrees with you. That's just the nature of this shit. There are 8 billion people on the planet. Plenty of them are really smart. A lot of them disagree on stuff like there's no shortage of uh, hot button issues with no right answer because we just we're imperfect and we don't have enough information. One of the things that I thought was interesting in your piece was when you mentioned the paradigm shifts in your worldview and they're pretty dramatic. And then you also mentioned that you've self-radicalized and that's how you learn or move forward. When I was first developing my political consciousness, I was maybe in high school and a lot of the sides, you know, the Democrats, the Republicans, it didn't quite add up to me. I had impulses that didn't entirely fit in with either group of people. And I met this little group of nerdy libertarians who were not popular at all, sat in the back of the room. They were really smart, though. They were like the top in their class. And they were just like, oh, you're one of us. Just come over here. We're going to tell you some stuff about libertarianism. And I'm like, oh, what's libertarianism? And I started to learn about it and it started to make sense. I liked that it was the philosophy that um, is consistent. And one of the things that I hated about the right and the left when I was in high school was how inconsistent both sides were. There wasn't a consistent worldview there. Things shifted based on you know what was working politically. It was clearly opportunistic. Um, maybe there was a rough idea about the world behind each, but I didn't have much of a sense of it at 15, 16, looking at it. And, and libertarianism was clear. There was an answer for everything except abortion, which divides libertarians on all sorts of actually really interesting philosophical grounds. And that was compelling to me. And I got really into it, but I'm gay. Libertarians wouldn't have cared about that. But at that time, George Bush was in office and he was saying all sorts of crazy stuff about, well, he wasn't, it wasn't really crazy. It was just, he was overtly Christian and didn't believe in gay marriage. His supporters were the ones that would say things back then to me, which were really wrong. And I just started to grow to really hate the Christian right. That happened right as I entered college. And I had these professors who were like, oh, well, that's because Republicans are stupid and Democrats are smart. And like, yeah, we don't have a problem with gay people at all. And I'm like, sweet. This is like, okay, they're, they are seeing the light on this issue and you just start to trust them and it feels good to be a part of a tribe. That was all wrapped into me agreeing with their worldview, which increasingly led me to Marxism and I just kind of let it carry me away and I got really, really super into it. I started reading, you know, Marx and Engels and it was this period of bizarre radicalization that swept over me like a really bad flu that lasted about a year and a half. And on the other end of that, I found myself making an argument in class one day that I just didn't believe at all. And I was so confused as to why I was making that argument that while I was saying it made no sense. It was about how uh, people who create something don't have a right to it. And I didn't understand. I'm like, why am I saying this? Where did I even get this? I don't believe this. And so I had to kind of just do a lot of thinking. And I started reading more classically libertarian texts, which I had never actually done before. I just kind of listened to my friends. Now I started reading the founding libertarian thinkers that led me to anarcho-capitalism. The reason I think this is important to me is just, I mean, I've had these tremendous shifts in worldview and yeah, radicalization is how I tend to learn about things. You get really obsessed with it and you start acting like an evangelical Christian and you want to tell everybody about your weird new idea that is perfectly reasonable. And if everyone would just listen to you for five minutes, the world would be a better place. It's like that kind of energy. It's a really good way to learn stuff, but also like I keep saying, we're imperfect and we don't know everything. I think the trend in my life is now 
I'm trying my best to resist that kind of stuff and to be open to all sorts of thinking that makes me uncomfortable. I have very firm values. So it's not like, oh, everyone's right. I don't think that at all. I think most people are wrong, but I'm willing to listen to almost anybody. I, I don't think that I know everything. Whereas in those other periods in my life, I really believed that I knew everything. Like I discovered the truth of the world. And that's, it's a, it's a, it's a super religious frame of mind, which is why I often call the woke stuff super religious because I've been there. I know what it is to think about the world in that way. All the woke stuff comes down to intersectionality and critical theory and deconstructing people into this weird pyramid, this hierarchy of power and privilege. And what they like about it is they can apply it to anything, but it doesn't mean that it's right. It just means that you're in a cult. That's such a good point. I think these days it would do people a lot of good to get a grand tour of different worldviews. You see it more and more. People are so unwilling to listen to a different point of view, let alone entertain weird ideas. I actually wanted to ask you about Hereticon and how you came up with the idea. I think you described it as a conference for thought crime. Hereticon is cool because for me personally, because it allowed me to sort of open up this stuff that I'm talking about now is not stuff that I would have talked about even five years ago. Hereticon was an idea that I had when I was in New Orleans looking at properties for another event that I throw for Founders Fund. And I kept thinking like, man, I want to just do something that's big enough for this city. It just came into my mind. It was like, well, what about a conference for people, an actual conference? I wasn't throwing those. I was throwing more like summit type things that were highly curated for a small group of people, invite only. This would be something that maybe you could apply to and just join as a regular person who had a cool idea about something. I mean, the premise that I sell it as is like a conference for people banned from other conferences. I had this idea that it would be really cool to get a bunch of people who were, quote, experts in their field who weren't invited to the conferences for those fields. So like a bio expert who believed something that put him at the fringe of his colleagues. Like they wouldn't be speaking at, you know, the flagship bio conference, but I wanted them to speak at my conference. And you could do that with physics as well. I was talking to a guy who was like, dark matter's not real. It's just completely not real. And he's a fucking incredible physicist. He, physicists hate him. He's published papers. Like he has the science behind him, but it just complicates their entire worldview in a way that they feel is incomplete. Anyway, it's, it's an interesting conversation. And so that's what Hereticon became. I talked to Peter. He was super into the idea. And we started putting together a conference for all these kinds of things that have some bit of information there that it can't be argued away. It exists. It's data. We have to look at it. It's the damn data. Again, there we are. In this particular sense, not only did people not talk about it, but the people who believe in it and talk about it themselves are in some sense persecuted, certainly professionally, like you're not getting tenure or something, or you're actually getting fired for your beliefs. Everyone thought that the Hereticon was a conference for the alt-right or something political, but I, I wrote an essay about it. I said what it was. I talked about UFOs and parapsychology and all the scientific stuff that would be triggering to the scientific people who were coming, who agree with me on other topics, but didn't want to talk about the whole list of weird things that I wanted to talk about. And yeah, probably there were going to be a bunch of people there who had political beliefs that were not within the Overton window. But the Overton window was narrowed in such a way that nobody is like not in violation of the Overton window. It's almost impossible not to be. I think that we have a larger problem culturally. There's always this difficulty in discussing things that most people don't believe in. But I do think that for some reason in the age of the internet where you would expect it to be the opposite of true, you would expect people to be much more comfortable with things that violate their sense of what is true and what's not or, or what is acceptable and what is not. I think we've gotten worse at it for some reason, in, in some way. You know, not the worst in history, right? We've had actual witch burnings, but the worst that it's been in my life. 
So did Hereticon actually happen? Like, how did it go? Hereticon was supposed to happen in May, and I had to cancel it because of COVID. I've been working towards it all year, and it was going to be the sort of sum of everything that I've worked on at Founders Fund. It was like every piece of everything I've ever done I was using for this thing. After Hereticon failed, I was like, well, I should launch my own podcast and at least talk about some of this stuff separate from Founders Fund. So I launched Problematic. You've talked about transhumanism all the way to sex toys, I believe. Oh, yeah. I, I talked to two people. I talked to Buck Angel, who is the first trans male gay porn star. And then I talked to um, Rachel Mason, who is actually Buck's girlfriend. She had just done this documentary. It's on Netflix right now called Circus of Books. She grew up in a gay porn store. She did a whole documentary on it. It was at the height of the AIDS epidemic. And it's just like this interesting time and place where they were selling something super forbidden. We talked about like Larry Flint, who literally got shot for his belief that just smut was okay. You were allowed to buy it. Like it shouldn't be illegal. I mean, people really get set off on the topic of sex. Back then it was the right wing. I would say today the left wing is almost just as puritanical. And if you get, I mean, I mean sufficiently left wing, when you're getting like a real lefty and they're talking about, you know, all their weird new sex rules, it's, it sounds like Islam, you know, it's like really super conservative. It's like, you should be just wrapped up and not even be speaking with members of the opposite sex. It's like really scary shit. It sounds to me, again, super religious. It's like part of this weird cult that I'm not interested in. We're at such a weird intersection where truth and reality and left and right is all colliding. It's crazy. Yeah, it is. What's interesting to me is that there's so much appetite for this. People are looking for someone to be like, yeah, shit's fucking crazy right now. Like these people who are screaming about their 17,000 genders, that's weird. It's really intense. Like Trump as president is crazy. That's crazy. Kanye West is running and that would have been a joke a few years ago, but now we're like, fuck, what if that happened? That's weird. It seems as if the simulation is unraveling and people are looking to just be able to talk about it, but we have this weird block. And this is not a barrier belief. This is a social thing. It's We're socially just not supposed to talk about important stuff that makes people uncomfortable. And now, I mean, we have no idea. It seems like everything makes everybody uncomfortable. I don't think that's really true. I think that there's a, a very small group of people who talk about discomfort, but don't even really think about it. I don't think they're bad people. I think the people obsessed with trolling speech, they feel scared in the world. They feel powerless in a chaotic world. And the way that they make themselves feel less scared is by trying to control other people around them. If they can control successfully what you're able to say, then the world seems just calmer. I think that the cognitive dissonance right now, from what I I can tell, is that there are big stories that are not being talked about. Like what you said, we're not allowed to think about it. For example, the Epstein situation. Everyone's thinking it. No one's talking about it. That's the weird thing. It's funny you mentioned that because I think with 2020, the Epstein story is, I could never believe that I would actually say this out loud, but it's one of the less interesting ones in relation to... When when Jalen Maxwell was caught, I was like, oh, well, here comes the July story. People didn't give a fuck. There's a pandemic happening still. Everything is shut down. There's massive inflation. We're in the middle of what looks like a race war. If you believe the New York Times, there are cities burning. Cops, we're getting rid of the police department, okay? At, at At the moment we have people burning shit down, we're like, we have other things to worry about. UFOs, right? I mean, I didn't even list UFOs. Wait, I know. Just to clarify, I only brought up the Epstein thing because it seems like there are all these elements that we're not supposed to put together in a certain way. But if everyone believes something, is it a conspiracy theory? 
Well, I just wonder like how quickly our views have changed. Like if I talked to somebody about aliens two years ago, I would have just been laughed out. Now there was a week where every one of my conversations was aliens. Yeah, but it's gone now, right? People just stopped talking about it, forgot about it. Aliens, what? Don't remember it. And it always been that way throughout history. I almost wonder like, are we living in such a different time where it's like, okay, we have all the stuff that happened during World War II and after the war, some of which were so mind blowing to people that even now we don't talk about like in Europe, you know, how they had uh, all this euthanasia that they did. That has just left the discourse. We've never had a president like Trump ever, not even close. We've never had a social movement that felt as cultish as what we're seeing on the far left right now. Um, we've never had the institutional decay in this country that we're looking at. We've had all sorts of moments of crisis, but they're only similar in that they are crisis. So 1918 is a great example. Let's talk about the plague for a minute. So we've got our modern day plague in coronavirus. And in 1918, you had the Spanish flu. Of course, now we call it the 1918 pandemic. So I'm listening to this podcast on my way down to Los Angeles. It's called something about 1918. And the first thing I realized is like, wow, we're calling this the 1918 pandemic. There's not a single mention of the Spanish flu. We've completely changed the name of this disease for contemporary political reasons, which is wild to me that we would just completely whitewash history, which is like, by the way, a reason that you should probably try and find some kind of hard copy encyclopedia because you cannot trust Wikipedia anymore. In small ways, you can't. In many ways, you can. But I think long term, this is going to be a problem that gets bigger and bigger and bigger. History is being rewritten in front of us. But anyway, so it was an interesting premise for a podcast. What they wanted to do was they wanted to go back and look at the New York Times coverage of the 1918 pandemic, the Spanish flu. And my assumption was that people back then would have been much more resilient. It was one of the worst diseases in history, uh, certainly in American history, but it just seemed like people were tougher back then or something. And maybe they wouldn't have been quite so hysterical as we are. And they kind of would have just gotten on with it. But I was even shocked to see how little they cared about it. So they start going through the reporting and it was like, page after page, the first five pages of the New York Times in the peak of this virus, like day after day, week after week, no mention of this thing. All they're talking about is World War One. We're in the middle of a world war at that time. And that's what people are focused on. There'd be like a sentence, like all restaurants in Boston closed for the Spanish flu. Next story, like one line, period. That was it. Not even a column. They didn't care. They were like, this is a horrible thing that's happening. But we have to, of course, you just take a risk to live. You have to go out and do what you got to do. There are crazy things happening in the world and they, they moved on. We, we want to be like, oh, history repeats itself or it echoes. It's like a similar thing that happened in 1918. But in fact, there's no similar, there's nothing at, at its core that is the same. People were just different back then, culturally. They were less risk averse. They were tougher. They were more resilient. There, there's no similarity whatsoever other than it's a disease. You can always find some commonality. We're humans. We love to find connections between things. But actually, this is a new world. It's uncharted territory. Everything that's happening right now is very weird. It is like fundamentally weird. And um, that's the only thing that I know for sure. We should push our barrier belief. But at what point do we become a tinfoil hat person? I always am like, well, what is the, where, what, what do we have in terms of evidence? You know, the UFO evidence for me was really compelling. I have all these questions. Suddenly it's like, why would the government lie about this? What do they have to gain from lying about this? Why do people not want to talk about this? And those questions become interesting to me. And then what I want right now for that is, I mean, I don't believe anything on that story yet. What I want is more evidence. 
I want more data. I want people to study this. I want to know everything the government knows. I want transparency from the government. And I think that you become a tinfoil hat person maybe when um, the evidence is completely contrary to what you believe in and you refused to look at it. Or, you know, no matter what anybody says, no matter what data they present to you, you find some quick way to wash it away because of your, your pre-existing belief, which is, by the way, how most people think about the world. It's just that their ideas that they believe in with no evidence whatsoever happen to be palatable to you. They might even be real. They might be right about stuff, but they don't know why. That goes back to our world is not flat story. The average person doesn't know why the world isn't flat. They just know that it's not. In that context, I think for me, the tinfoil hat is about refusing to change your mental model, no matter what. It seems like there are different categories of truths. We talked about strange truths, which are those that people can't even conceive of. There are new truths, which are those that have not yet been discovered. But do you believe that there are ancient truths or like objective truths about the world and life? I believe that there's an objective truth about the world. I believe that. Truth is hopelessly obscured from people by our confirmation biases and all these other weird cognitive biases we have. And and the fact that we care more about what our friends think than what the truth is. I try and allow my worldview flexibility. I think that we are much closer to the truth today than we were a thousand years ago in all sorts of dimensions, specifically like physics and energy, um, things like gravity. Well, actually, I guess we really don't understand. Gravity is still a pretty mysterious force, but biology for sure, cell biology, viral epidemiology, there are things that we know a lot more about. We're approaching the truth. And I think the worst thing we can do right now is be so arrogant as to believe that, you know, we're just completely right about stuff. We're living in a quote, modern age, you know, this is civilization now. We've, We've arrived. No, we're like children still. It's just that a thousand years ago, we were living in mud huts in some parts, most parts of the world still. We have learned a lot. We have electricity and we have computers and rocket ships. We've been to the moon. Love that. But we still don't understand what consciousness is. We're conscious beings. Why don't we understand how that works or what that even is? Why are we trying to build artificial consciousness if we don't understand our own? Literally, we, could, we can't even begin to explain it. That's a big deal to me. I think we're arriving. We're like getting closer and closer to truth. I think there probably are some ancient truths. We probably got some stuff right a long time ago, and that's great on us. And then I think there are a, a whole handful of things that we're just not physically in this current state capable of comprehending just by virtue of our biological limitations. We have five senses for perceiving the world. Those just happen to be the five senses that kept us alive for the last 10,000 years, you know, 20,000 years. We, th- there are other ways of knowing about the world. And I think that there are way weirder ways that we can even literally things that we can't even We don't even know we don't know things that other creatures have not evolved to have other ways of sensing the world, which means that there's information out there that we can't in this physical state access. The problem is we don't know what it is. The problem is we don't know where to look. There's information in every direction that we're not physically capable of accessing. So like, what do you build? That's going to be a problem that haunts us for a long time. We need to amplify our intelligence, hopefully with something like AI you know, we'll we'll learn a lot more, but I mean, these are all huge question marks. They're all, we're in the realm of just the total unknown. People just kind of think if you make this, it solves all our problems, but it doesn't, right? We need to figure out what questions are important. I think of it as this like very near term, like better computer vision models, not AGI, of course, but like people somehow think I had one person pitch me a company, which was that I'm going to use these models to solve racism. And I was like, uh, okay, how do you think that? And like, oh yeah, we'll just segment people. We'll just segregate. And I'm like, oh my God, like these guys have never read a history book. They're just doing the exact same thing that we did before, but using new technology to kind of make that happen. And 
that to me is the biggest issue with everything that's happening in China, right? We just don't question it. Like people don't know where Xinjiang is. So we don't even talk about it. Or at least some of my friends didn't even know that it was happening. The problem with China is like, here we are facing an actual evil empire. Well, I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't go that far. We're facing um, an actual authoritarian country that is aggressive, that is invading border territory, that is a nuclear power, that is committing genocide, that is in direct conflict with us. And increasingly, you know, we're nearing what feels like a very dangerous territory. And that's a hard thing for people to wrap their heads around if they believe that America is bad. Because if you believe that America is bad, then your natural impulse is to be like, well, they must be good. You know, the enemy of America must have must have the right idea about something. I mean, I don't know. People have different moralities, but I, I think that China is pretty bad. The Chinese government is pretty bad. The veil has been pulled back and we're just seeing manipulation with news and reality and facts and truth and data. And it's going to affect history, basically. I think the, the harder truth is that nobody has the real truth about the nature of reality. But I, I hope that we can agree on certain things, like moral things. I actually think that these days, what we're living through is people not thinking and people having these prepackaged beliefs branded for them. And so I think maybe the barrier belief problem is due to people just turning off their brain. But I think it in a different way. It's that they're not thinking on the important issues. Someone said something that stuck with me, which is like depression is actually when your mind doesn't shut off. It's like when you just keep thinking on and on and on and you just can't turn it off. And that makes you a victim, right? Because when you're judging everything, you're judging it in relation to yourself. That's this exact moment where if we're just consumed by everything on our screen, everything outside that happens in the physical world, whether it be Epstein, these aliens, China, like all those things become irrelevant to, oh, that person called me an asshole on Twitter. And so therefore I just have to fight back. And so they are thinking it's like, we've just relegated their thoughts to like these very minuscule internet battles. Throughout time, I feel like most people haven't probably thought much about the world. It's just that we've read history and the people that we focus on are the people who generally have. Those are the people who are a part of history. That's our sense of what history is. It's made by people who have thought about the world, who directed the world, who shaped the world. But today, it feels like we're surrounded by people who aren't like that because they're not, because most people are never like that. Most people are just forgotten by history because they don't think about anything. It's possible that even our best don't really think much about the world. I don't know. Um, yeah, I don't know. I know that the world is weird, though. It's like, I mean, everything is just, it's like the shape of it is so strange. If you were to sum up this whole essay and what your message is to the world, what is this bigger idea that you want to break through to people? Mainly what I think people need in their lives, in, in the world. I think that we all need to become a lot more comfortable with uncomfortable ideas because new ideas are the only things that really fix anything. They're the only things that, that catalyze progress, technological progress, scientific progress, social progress. Everything that we love about contemporary civilization exists today because someone once had a really weird idea. And, and so I, I think most weird ideas, most things that you hear and you think that's crazy, they're probably crazy. I think, you know, almost all of them are actually just crazy. But the few that aren't are the only ideas that really matter in, a, in, in the historical context. So you have to at least listen. OK, and if you don't believe something, I think it's like really important to ask yourself why. Do, do you are you discarding this thing out of hand or, or are you discarding it for a, a reasonable reason? I mean, do you have information that this person you're talking to is refusing to look at? Do you have information that is compelling to you or are you just believing something that you picked up along the way and you don't know why? I think there are all sorts of things like that in, in the world and we have to just be open to changing.
we have to be open to growing. And like, as a society, for sure, that starts with, at the individual level. We can't improve anything in the world unless we can improve ourselves at an individual level. And that begins with openness to, to the strange. And UFOs are real. They're definitely real. How open-minded are we really? Something to think about. To keep up with Mike, follow him on Twitter at Mike Solana. That's M-I-C-S-O-L-A-N-A. You can also subscribe to his newsletter, Pirate Wires, at solana.substack.com. Thanks for listening. We hope you like this episode. For exclusive content and special invitations, add your name to our list by going to conservativecurious.com. Until next time, stay curious.